Um, so numbers 11:4. The rabble with them began to crave other food, and again the Israelites started wailing and said, "If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Skip to verse 10. Moses heard the people of every family wailing, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their forefathers? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, put me to death right now if I found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my own ruin. The Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there and I will take of the spirit that is on you and put the spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. Skip down to verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him, and he took of the spirit that was on him and put the spirit on the 70 elders. When the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. However, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but did not go out of the tent to the tent. Yet the spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran to told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Then Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Skip down to chapter 12, verse 1. So meanwhile, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they said? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them came out, then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When both of them stepped forward, he said, listen, listen 
to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. So why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, there stood Miriam, leprous like snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had leprosy, and he said to Moses, Please, my Lord, do not hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. So Moses cried out to the Lord, O oh God, please heal her. The Lord replied to Moses, If her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she, she can be brought back. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on until she was brought back. After that, the people left Hazaroth and encamped in the desert of Paran. This is the word of the Lord. My wife is reading second service. I didn't have the heart to ask anybody else. Uh, yeah, congratulations on a marathon reading. Thank you. That was wonderful. Um, I don't think the reading needs any explanation from me. I think we can just pray and, and close the service. That's right. Done. Uh, <laughs> so we, we're going to enter a, a series of somewhat depressing chapters, just be forewarned. Um, scenes in the life of a leader, we might say. And uh, I came across a quote this week. It says this, Anytime a selfish sinner is tasked with leading other selfish sinners in a Godward direction, there's going to be trouble. And I thought, yes, that is, that is true. And, and many of you are leaders in this room. Right? We have a lot of leaders in this church. Um, you lead in your place of work or in your family or you lead in some context in this church. And um, so we're going to look at today, these, we've got two different scenes from the life of a leader. And there's... I mean, I don't know if you're able to take all that in. I know that was a lot to ask of you. But um, there's so many dynamics in those two scenes that, that are going to be, you're going to be left with all sorts of questions that I don't have time to answer. Um, uh, but there's a beautiful theme, I think, that runs through these two chapters, which is why I put them together. And it's the humility of Moses that we see in both of these passages. And so I want to talk about this, this humble leader. You know, in, in uh, chapter 12, verse 3, it says, you, many of you, it's probably the only verse you've heard in this, these two chapters for a long time. Now, Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. I'm pretty sure that Moses didn't write that verse. Uh, we know he's responsible for um, the first five books of the Bible, but I think someone, someone after him probably wrote that one, let's hope. Um, but uh, Moses was a very humble guy, and we see that. And, and what's, it's a, I think it's amazing in light of the unique authority that God had given him. If you look at like chapter 12, um, verse uh, 8, you know, God's talking to Miriam and Aaron says, with Moses I speak face to face, clearly not riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. I mean, think of all that Moses had experienced, right? 
He, he's the one who would go up to Mount Sinai. He came back last week. We talked about what these, this, his face was radiating the glory of God. He spoke the words of God to people. And the potential, I would think, for pride, spiritual pride, or spiritual abuse, right? You have that kind of authority, what you could kind of say to, to get your way. I, I would think, and most people would be a temptation. And yet, what you really see, almost his entire leadership is just a really humble guy. And so I want to talk about humility today. And Rick Langer just talked about humility a couple weeks ago when we had Palm Sunday and we looked at Jesus, the humble king, and we looked at humility through, through the life of Jesus. And today I want to look at humility now through the life of Moses and these two, these two scenes in Moses' life. And, and before we look at the first scene, I was just really struck this week about something, um, something about humility. And it's this. I, I think the more I live my life, uh, the more I realize that humility is just a very freeing quality. It is, to use Jesus' word, words, it's a light yoke, humility. And um, pride is a very heavy yoke. When you live with this, this, what the Bible calls selfish ambition and vain glory, this desire to be noticed, the de- desire to be recognized, or where you have an ego that is easily offended, that easily wants, you know, quickly wants to defend itself, that is actually a very heavy way to live. And humility is a very freeing way to live. It's the light and easy yoke of Jesus who himself was humble and gentle. And I think we see some of that in Moses in this passage. And so I want to just look at these two scenes. And, and I want us to be thinking about, you know, where am I being called to humility in my own life? And again, m- many of you are in leadership roles in various contexts. And so what, w- what does humility look like for you in those contexts? So let's look at Moses in action. So go back to chapter 11. Uh, There's kind of a similar pattern that both chapters, you've got a complaint against Moses, essentially, and then Moses, I think, responds humbly, and then God intervenes, okay? You see that in both, similar pattern in both chapters. So uh, go back to chapter 11. So the complaint is one we've heard a lot as of now, right? Verse 4, the rabble with them began to crave other food, and it's a complaint that starts to sound like a menu. You notice that in verse 5, right? Remember Egypt? We had cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. And now all we have is this stinking manna, right? The same thing every day. No diversity of our food. And one commentary says, their words drip with ingratitude, forgetfulness, and entitlement. But that's true. And um, you heard, you know, from Wendy, you heard Moses' response. He's just at his wit's end, right? I mean, this is, this is the most exasperated I've seen him. Just like, Lord, you just put me out. Like, this is, right, I'm, I'm over this. This is so hard. He's just at his wit's end. And, uh, and God responds, right? And what he does, uh, beginning in verse 16, he says, okay, uh, the, you've carried so much of this burden, so I want you to bring 70 of the elders, 70 of the leaders, and I want them to join you at the tent of meeting, okay? And I'm going to take the spirit that I put on you, my Holy Spirit, and I'm going to I'm going to spread the wealth, so to speak. I'm going to spread that to them. And to this point, it sounds like Moses has really been the one uh, kind of, you know, infused with the spirit of God to do God's work. And God's saying, now I'm going to, I'm going to distribute my spirit, take some from you, and offer it to these, these men so they can bear the weight of leadership with you. Uh, and if you look at verse 25, that's exactly what happens. Look at verse 25. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him, and he took some of the power of the spirit was on him, and put it on the 70 elders. When the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. Okay? So the Spirit comes on them, and they prophesy. And I think the prophesying is a sign that, yes, indeed, the Spirit is on them. They only prophesied once. 
because the Spirit wasn't on them to prophesy. The Spirit was on them to lead, to kind of govern, so they don't need to be prophesying regularly, but that was just a a clear sign that, yes, God has really done this, okay? So the the thing that's really fascinating to me about this first scene is, is what happens next, okay? Right, in verse 26... Uh, you have these two guys uh, with great names, right? Eldad and Medad. And, uh, and they remain in the camp, it says. And they were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Okay? So the tent of meeting is outside the camp a little ways. The, I guess 68 of them go out. These two guys, for whatever reason, we don't know. Maybe they slept through alarms. Maybe they you know, missed the bus. Maybe they disobeyed. Maybe they, we don't know why they didn't show up. But they're just out in the camp. And... Uh, and the Holy Spirit comes on these guys. And they start prophesying in, in the camp while the rest of the elders are away. And so apparently, it's sort of like a long-distance miracle of God's. Right? I guess apparently you don't need to be close to Moses <laughs> to get some of the Spirit. God just pours it out on these, these two guys, and they're, they're nowhere near. And so they're prophesying outside of the formal leadership uh, gathering there. And, um, and Joshua, right, sees this. And he's concerned by it. Verse 28, Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. And based off of Moses' response, it seems to me that this is a young, you know, mentee who is um, protective of his mentor's honor. Right? He, he thinks that these two guys just prophesying on the camp is somehow going to undermine Moses' authority and... Um, yeah, undermine the role that, and the authority that Moses has. And I was thinking about, I, I wonder, and who knows, but I wonder if within Joshua's concern, what would have been potentially a temptation in Moses' own heart as a leader, to all of a sudden see these other guys, spirit poured on them, and they're starting to do the thing that only he's done so far, right? And I, I just wonder, I mean, he's, he's enjoyed a very unique role, unique status as the, the spirit bearer and the, the word of God imparter. And there's a leveling of the playing field going on in this moment that might feel even a little bit out of his control. And certainly uh, Joshua feels that. And so I love Moses' response. And this is what really hit me about this first scene this week. Look at verse 29. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on all of them. And I, I love that response, right? Joshua, you don't have to be jealous for me. I, I, I love this. I, I don't need to be the, the guy in charge. I don't need to be the only guy with the spirit. This, what I've experienced, I, I wish everybody could experience what I've experienced. I wish all of Israel would experience the things of God that I have been experiencing. And I think you realize in this moment, you see it for Moses, like this was never really about him, right? I mean, he never wanted to do this in the first place. And you see his heart coming out like, oh, I just, I just want God's people to experience the blessings of God's spirit the way I have. You, you don't need to be jealous for me. This, this, isn't, this is exactly what I've wanted all along. And I just think that is just this little snippet, this beautiful picture of a humble leader whose heart is for the people he's serving, right? His, his heart is for others. He wants to see others empowered and blessed and filled with the Spirit and doing the ministry that God has given them to do. 
Really, it's some leader who says, hey, this is, this is not about me. I don't need to hold on to anything here. This is about God. It's always been about God for me, what he's up to, and this is beautiful what's happening. And so I just want to pause before we go to the second chapter uh, and, and just um, think about this, especially for those of us who are leaders, which is pretty much all of us in this room in some capacity. But you, you see here this, this beautiful heart of a leader who has the heart of Jesus, who, who just longs to see God at work and the people around him. Um, but I think I was just thinking through my own life and, and the weight of pride and ego and how insidious that can be in our lives. And so I, I wanted to just kind of tease some things out with you and, and ask you questions like, um, how do you feel, and I'll reveal how I feel sometimes, but how do you feel when you hear about the blessings of other people? Okay, what, what, is, what happens inside of your heart? Um, so these could be unspiritual things. It doesn't have to be the spirit poured out. But uh, like when you find out a friend um, just bought a new house, blessed by a new house, awesome, beautiful house. It's a little bit nicer than yours, okay? Um, uh, got a promotion, right? Um, got a new job. Had a big deal go through. Is there this just kind of pure like, oh, that is so good. That's so beautiful. Or sometimes is there something else in you that gets triggered in that? Like the success, the blessings of others. Like, oh, there's something, there's something a little bit uglier in me when I hear about that. Maybe this is just me, but like there's something that gets triggered that's close to envy or jealousy or something like that. And, um, you know, there's a spiritual version of this um, that we see all over the church. Uh, maybe, I don't know if it's especially in the American church, but certainly in the church where so often instead of just that wholehearted joy in what God is doing out there, there's competition. There's envy. There's jealousy. And I was thinking as, as a pastor, like, what, what, how do I respond when I hear about the, um, the successes of other churches, for instance? You know, I, see, I saw some pastors this week. Yeah, we had, you know, Easter service. We had 50 baptisms. Like, what happens inside of me in that moment? Like, oh, we had, we, had a, we had a couple baptisms, you know, but like, you know. And, you know, and we've, Mark and I have gone to pastors' conferences over the years, and it's so interesting to, like, engage with pastors. Hey, good to meet you. What's your name? How big's your church? Yeah, good. How big's your church? You know, those sorts of things. And, and even within the church, we can, we can have sometimes people, um, right? Ego can so easily uh, get in the mix of all of these things. And, and sometimes in the most subtle of ways. I, w- I was thinking this week. Um, so I pray for you all every week as I, as I, you know, prepare. I spend a good chunk of time praying and praying that God would do certain things and obviously trying to think through what should I teach. But I, I, I want to see God at work in your hearts, obviously, through the Word of God. But I was, I was reflecting this week, when I'm not preaching on a Sunday, when we have, uh, you know, someone else coming in and preaching, how much prayer is happening for you from me on those weeks? And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. Not a whole lot. And so what's, okay, so some of this prayer is for you, and, and maybe a lot of this prayer is for me, <laughs> because my, my own ego, my own, uh, whatever word you want to use, is, is wrapped up in this, right? And so th- this, this can play out in such um, subtle and insidious ways. And what I love is, again, my, my big point is, humility is such a freeing quality. The, the freedom that Moses has in this moment for this to be a moment of pure joy for him. Right? There's, there's no sense of, I don't know how I feel about this. And 
I'm beginning to experience that more and see that more actually in the church. I just want to share like um, there is such a beautiful collaboration among the churches in Costa Mesa going on right now and, and actually in Orange County as well, but more than I've ever seen since I've been here. There's there's a lot going on in the city. We're going to talk about that at lunch today. But there are churches coming together to partner to try to, you know, share the gospel in the city. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. Mark and I just went to, some of us went to a, a little um, gathering of pastors this week. And I was so blessed. A, a couple came up to us from another church. They said, how was your Easter service? And we were sharing that. I said, I was so glad. We, we had some people come and, um, you know, pray on your campus on Saturday. Um, before Easter, and they, they sent out like 20 volunteers to go to the different churches, and they actually, they, there were some scheduling snafu, so they had two couples that ended up at Grace, so we got double the prayer we were supposed to get, which was awesome, and I responded, it, we were going to do that too, we just, we had a scheduling problem, and you know, we, uh, but like I was so, were you a part of that conversation? I was just like, that is so beautiful, just that like, hey, we just want to see the, the, the gospel go out. And um, one of the guys that was there made this comment, said, as a leader, he had his mentor say to him, do you want to be the best? Um, or do you want to, you know, build up 10 people who will be better than you? And I thought, oh, that is so good. And so I, I see in Moses just the, the freedom that comes from a humility that just says, I just want, I just want God at work in the world. It doesn't, this does never need to be about me. And this is awesome. I'm celebrating this. I'm not threatened by this beautiful picture of humility, something for us to think through in our own leadership context or just our own lives. What do I see in myself? Is my heart just like, God, I just want to see you do work. That's, that's the greatest joy. This is not about me. This is that's such a small life. All right, so that's the first uh, scene. Let's go to the second chapter. Go to chapter 12. Again, complaint. Then I think a, a, a humble response and by Moses and God intervenes. All right, you still with me? Yep. Yeah, okay. Oh, man. So, wow. So the, here's a different complaint this time. I'll just read verse uh, 1 and 2. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? Okay, different complaint. And uh, let me suggest this one might have stung a little more to Moses, right? This one was, was deeply personal. This is coming from his own family. And the complaints are twofold. The first is Moses has married a Cushite wife, okay? And they're, they don't like this. Um, fascinating. I, we're not sure. This could be Zipporah, who he married. Remember when he fled Egypt originally, um, when he murdered someone? He fled Egypt, came to the well. He met Zipporah. That's in Midian and married her. It's possible that her family uh, was originally from Cush. Cush is Ethiopia. So it's possible that this he's referring to Zipporah, or they're referring to Zipporah as his first wife, or it's possible she has died, and since then he has taken on another wife, uh, and she is a Cushite, Okay. So, um, whichever, she's not part of the covenant Jewish community, okay? Undoubtedly, she has darker skin. She's from Ethiopia. She's, she's a dif- different ethnicity, and, and they don't like this. And that's created a dynamic, and they're complaining about this. They're, they're talking to the people, like, look what Moses did, okay? So, that's sort of the, um, the on-the-surface complaint by his own siblings. But I think the deeper issue is actually verse 2. 
Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he also spoken through us? Answer, yes, he has spoken through them, right? Miriam's a prophetess. She's done some awesome things. Aaron, obviously, has been Moses' mouthpiece. So, yes, he, God has spoken through them. But look at what you see in them that I think is the real issue, which is jealousy, envy of their brother, right? The very thing that Moses didn't have in the last chapter when these, the spirit got poured out on these, these men, he's like, awesome, that's great. They are feeling the weight of pride. And, you know, we could spend 20 minutes thinking, think about these dynamics in this family, okay? So, uh, how it feels for them, right? Moses is their younger brother, okay? So, you got Moses. Aaron is three years older than Moses. We don't know. Miriam's a couple years older than Aaron, okay? So, God chooses this younger brother to be the one to um, lead the people out. And so now, imagine being Moses, you've been doing all that you've been doing, and now you have your older siblings complaining about the wife you married, and filled with jealousy, right? Envy over the spiritual authority that God has has given you in this this community. And I just want you to think, just imagine being Moses, okay? Hearing this, I mean, they're obviously not just saying it to him, they're saying this to the community. Hasn't, aren't we, are we chopped liver, right? We're, We're pretty awesome too. And just think about, I mean, for me, like, if I were Moses, how I would <laughs> want to respond to that would be like, are you kidding me? <laughs> right? Like, after all that we've been through, after all that I have had to bear, like, Aaron, you of all people, like, you owe your life to me, right? I saved your booty, right, at Mount Sinai, right? The golden calf. Like, I interceded for you. You are here because of me. Like, are you, are, are we really going to do this? Are you kidding me? Right? I mean, the guy is, all the responsibility he's had, and now he's got his own siblings, sibling rivalry, right? It's as ancient as, as uh, Cain and Abel. And, you know, many of you in this room face those moments, okay, where you're, um, you're being accused uh, where your reputation is on the line, um, where maybe your integrity is being questioned, your faithfulness. And, and again, in, in various leadership contexts, family, this is a family one. Family, for many of you, that's been the, the primary context where that happens. Um, and it's so sad to watch it happen in, in families. But I've, I've watched so many of you, you know, so many of you cared for your, your parents, for instance. And, um, and then your parents die. And then there's a service to plan, and there's an estate to divide, right? And some of you have weathered some really brutal uh, sibling dynamics in those moments where your integrity, your love, these deep things are, are being questioned, um, and you're being accused of things that are really unfair. And, and so, too many people experience that. Uh, many of you in your work context, of course, has been the place where um, it's a competitive environment, and you are you are faithfully trying to do a, your job with excellence and you have people who accuse you of things that you didn't do and who are out for your job, who are vying for po- more power in the, in the company, right? This is where these things happen in other places as well. And everything in us, of course, naturally wants to respond and defend and, and ego and pride is so quickly triggered. So how does Moses... Um, what does Moses speak into? What does he do? What does he say to them in the midst of this? And we don't actually know, but what's so fascinating to me is, according to this 
passage, the answer is nothing. He doesn't say anything. In fact, it's precisely in that, right in that moment in verse 3 that we get this phrase, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. That comes right out of the accusations about his wife and about his leadership. And all that is said about Moses is, uh, Moses is a really humble guy. And so, you know, reading between the lines, my, my sense is Moses chooses not to react. He doesn't, you know, jump in and, and, and fight. He, he entrusts himself, I think, to God. And if you look, it's interesting. Look at the at end of verse 2. They complain, and it says, and the Lord heard this. <laughs> well, of course he heard this. He hears everything, right? And so I think, my, my take is Moses kind of entrusts this to God, and God steps in, and look at verse 4, at once the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you, so the three of them went, this is something I do with my daughter sometimes, right, there's an argument, hey girls, come over to the living room, we're, we're going to have ourselves a little talk, right, we're going we're gonna to talk this through, and, um, and God gives them a, a, a talking to, doesn't he, and he strikes Miriam with leprosy, uh, which it feels, doesn't feel very fair, right? Miriam gets le- leprosy and Aaron gets nothing. Um, that doesn't feel fair. My, my understanding is I think Miriam was the ringleader in this particular incident. If you go back to verse 1, Miriam's name is mentioned first, which in ancient culture you'd usually mention the guy's name first. And so my suspicion is she was sort of the primary responsible one for this. Don't know. Anyways, Aaron seems to get off the hook. She doesn't. Um, but God speaks and defends Moses basically says, hey, Moses is my guy, right? And you guys are going to feel the consequences of this. And then I love, look at verse 13. Look at Moses. So Moses cried out to the Lord, please, God, heal her. And he cries out for, for um, mercy for his sister, who has just thrown him under the bus, right? But he intercedes. He's done so much intercession. We're going to spend next week talking about intercession. He intercedes. And uh, they repent, and, um, and the problem is resolved. And so I, I just look at that. I mean, what a complicated set of dynamics for Moses. But I love the humility we see there, which is to, he, he entrusts uh, his reputation. He, retrust, he entrusts his honor to God, um, trusting that God judges justly, right? And that's what humility says. That's what meekness is. I, I don't need to react. I don't need to defend myself. Sometimes, of course, there's a place to do that. But I can entrust these things into God's just hands. I was thinking of James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Okay? This story is such a, a powerful uh, illustration of that. Moses just humbled himself before the Lord, and the Lord very much lifted him up, and, and Moses just entrusted that to God. But he allowed himself to be treated unjustly, um, but he knew God sees all, God hears all, uh, and God, in this case, stepped in and vindicated him, right? Now, some of our stories don't resolve quite so quickly as this one, do they, right? I mean, this is like, in a day, it's resolved. Uh, some of you have um, chosen the high road, chosen not to respond in kind, and you continue to be misunderstood or accused or um, the truth isn't fully known by certain people, and maybe never will be, and you may... It may be till the second coming of Christ that you're fully vindicated 
from some of the unjust situations that you find yourself in, right? So it doesn't always resolve so nicely as this. Um, but what I love is, is Moses is reflecting really the heart of our Lord Jesus, who, who, take this, who took this same posture. Here's First uh, Peter 2. When they hurled their insults at him, right, this is going to the cross, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Here it is. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And again, that's not to say there isn't a time to stand up for ourselves, to speak truth into the situation and, and all of that. But we always have to ask ourselves, what's, what's driving that? Is this my ego being pricked? Or is this a, a humble, honest, faithful response? And I think in this case, Moses really is a beautiful picture of humility. All right, so there they are, two bizarre, strange, uh, lovely passages where we see a humble leader. And I want to I end where I started. You know, um, we live in a world that, that carries the weight of pride. It, it's a burden. It's a yoke of pride. It's, we're, we're in a, um, a place where there's, a, there's so much ego. There's so much selfish ambition. Uh, there's a desire to make a name. There's a desire to, desire to prove ourselves. Uh, and all of that makes us easily offended oftentimes when that ego gets, gets triggered. And in the midst of that world, Scripture invites us into to the free and light yoke of humility, which as we see from Moses, really the heart is just wanting to see God's blessings all around us and to entrusting our own honor and reputation into the, the loving hands of God and then going out into the world and loving and serving. That's what we see in Moses. That's what we see in Jesus. That's what we're invited to ourselves. Let me leave you with a, a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, who was uh, very impactful in my own life and my own coming to faith in Jesus years ago. Uh, he was a pretty, pretty hip, awesome, hot, young pastor for a while who ended up in the concentration camps uh, in Nazi Germany, ended up dying there just weeks before uh, the Allied forces uh, freed that concentration camp. Uh, so he learned a lot about humility. And he wrote a bunch of letters, uh, letters from prison to one of his best friends. And I just want to read, read this to you. Uh, and he doesn't ever mention the word humility, in this, but this has been a, a, a quote that has meant something to me for 20 years now. Uh, let me read it to you. I'll put, put some of it on the slide. I remember a conversation that I had in America 13 years ago with a young French pastor. We were asking ourselves quite simply what we wanted to do with our lives. He said he would like to become a saint, and I think it is quite likely that he did become one. 